Hello, podcast world. Yep, it's me. I know it's been a while, and so much has happened since I last put my voice out in the world. Since then, I've spent lots of time with my grandkids. I got a new bionic hip. I took on some seasonal employment in Amazon, and I gained an amazing new daughter-in-law, which I could not be more excited about. So it has been a busy time. But while all that was going on, this podcast has been sitting in the back of my mind. In fact, it's been there since I finished the Free to Love series. My focus in that series was to address what I believe to be a wrong interpretation of Scripture around the issues of same-sex relationships. I spent quite a bit of time looking at the six Bible verses that are often weaponized against the LGBTQ plus community. If you haven't listened to that series, I would suggest that you do so after this. In short, I don't buy into the fact that same-sex relationships are an abomination to God and therefore sinful. I don't believe that lesbian and gay people are somehow broken or have some kind of sin they need to repent of. If anybody needs to repent, it's the Christian church that has excluded and sometimes even oppressed the LGBTQ plus community. But in that series, I never really addressed any gender issues, which are very different than same-sex relationships. And so today, I'm going to attempt to at least give a brief overview on that subject. But let me acknowledge that I'm in way over my head here, which is why I've kind of been hesitant to do this podcast I know way too few trans or non-binary people, and I I don't think it's their role to educate me. So I've tried to educate myself, but I still have so much to learn. From a scientific point of view, this is a complex subject. Science has much to learn when it comes to gender. And if you're willing to do the research with an open mind, you will find that it's not nearly as simple as we have always thought it was. To use the argument, if you have a penis, you're a boy, and if you have a vagina, you're a girl, is childish. And it lacks any real understanding of science. But from a Christian standpoint, I don't think it's all that complex. It's not because you are inherently broken to have male genitals, but inside you know you are a woman. You are not inherently broken if you look like a woman, but you know you are a man, or even if you don't feel like either. You are not somehow inherently broken or sinful if you're born with different chromosomes than the XX or XY. Let me be really clear here right off the bat. Transgender is not a sin like greed or gossip. It's not an addiction like alcoholism or drug abuse that needs a 12-step group. 
going to come back to all that and talk about what the Bible actually says and what it doesn't say. But before we go there, let, let me start with some really important definitions. And let's start with the word gender itself. For most of my life, I believe that gender speaks to biology. It seemed very simple. Male and female were biological terms. But more and more people, both Christian and not, are coming to understand that gender is not biological, but a social construct that refers to socially acceptable roles, behaviors, and actions. Of course, in our lifetime, those roles have changed dramatically. Women are CEOs of large corporations and men are stay-at-home dads. I'll be honest, when I first heard the definition of gender as being a social construct, I pushed back. I thought gender was very binary, very biological. But I came to realize that if someone years ago had asked me what a man was or what a man looked like, I would not say that he was a human with a penis. I would say something like the man is the spiritual head of the home. He should be a strong leader in his family and he should provide financially for his wife and children. I defined maleness in terms of a social construct that I grew up with. So now I realize I, I have no problem with the definition of gender being a construct. I've actually always seen it that way. However, in case you're freaking out, we do have language for a binary biological definition. It's the language of sex assigned at birth, which is our next definition. Basically, when you were born, the doctor looked between your legs and called you either male or female, and you were given a name that was appropriate. You were dressed in suitable colors, and you were given Christmas presents fitting with the sex assigned at birth. You'll sometimes hear people speak of gender identity. That's another important phrase to understand. It's an inner sense of who you are and it has nothing to do with your sex assigned at birth. It's not what you want to be, but it's what you know you are. You may feel very much like a male, or maybe you feel like a female, or maybe you feel both, or, or neither. Often the word non-binary is used when one's gender identity doesn't fit the binary choices of male or female. Then there is gender expression, which is how you live out your gender identity. Some people go all out and have surgery to change their sex assigned at birth, while others don't feel the need to change their biological appearance. Everybody expresses their gender identity differently. Then there's probably the most used word, transgender, or some just call it trans. 
it's really a big umbrella term for those whose gender identity and or gender expression does not match the sex assigned at birth. Let me digress for a moment and address something that I have heard conservative pastors say, that politicians say it. It's like also really prevalent on social media, and it goes something like this. I heard about a person that identified as a cat. So does that really make them a cat? Now, let me be careful not to be too judgmental here, but that is the most ridiculous, stupid argument ever. And it's just meant to distract from the real issue, and it totally minimizes a trans person's experience. Okay, that might be a little judgmental, but I do feel strongly about this. Don't do that. It is dehumanizing. The people that I have spoken to who would call themselves trans or non-binary will tell you that even as children, they knew they were different. They struggled to fit into the traditional roles of boy or girl. We're not talking about some guy who woke up one morning and decided to wear a dress to work. We are talking about something that has been clear to them for as long as they remember. They didn't want that doll for Christmas. They wanted a truck or a football. They just didn't have the language to express how they were feeling. Gender identity is not a choice. Okay, now that we're on the same page in terms of modern vocabulary, let's talk about the Bible. Of course, how you interpret the Bible and what you believe the Bible to be will probably influence your feelings about gender. If you claim to be a literalist when it comes to the Bible, that I'm probably not going to change your mind. But I doubt if any of those people are actually listening to this podcast anyway. For the rest of you, I hope you will listen with enough of an open mind to consider my thoughts on this matter. Your trans and non-binary friends deserve at least that. It's really important when we speak about this subject that we separate gender from same-sex relationships. They are not the same thing, and they cannot be treated as such. The six passages that I spoke of in the Free to Love series only deal with same-sex relationships and have nothing to do with gender. So today I'm only talking about gender. When I've listened to and read conservative Christian positions on the subject, there seems to be only one verse in the entire Bible that they can point to. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what it says in the NIV. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's it. 
there are no other verses or passages to point to that I know of, at least, when it comes to gender. Well, unless you go to Deuteronomy, where it says that a man should not dress like a woman or a woman dress like a man, or when Paul says that men shouldn't have long hair, but let's face it, we have all done away with those verses a long time ago. So I'm not going to waste anybody's time talking about that. So the Christian argument is that Genesis says that God created people either male or female. God doesn't speak of any in-between. It's just a binary choice, one or the other, that's it. That is all the conservative Christians have to point to. One verse. So let me make a couple of different arguments, and I hope they at least raise some questions in your mind. In the old King James Version that I grew up on, Genesis 1.27 goes this way. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word man in the King James Version is the Hebrew word for Adam. Now, most of our modern versions, even the King James, translate Adam in Hebrew as mankind or humanity. King James just calls it man. I, I, I think that a broader view of that word is right. I don't think it's just talking about Adam. We say God created humanity. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. That's a proper translation of the verse. And, and you know why? You know why we know that it's not just talking about men being made in the image of God or even just Adam being made in the image of God? It's because of the way that I learned to translate Scripture at the Baptist Theological College in Johannesburg. It's because of the context. It's because the next line says, male and female, he created them. The male and female part of the verse is the context so that we know that the word Adam should be translated as all of humanity. That line about male and female is not meant to be speaking about gender. In my opinion, it's a mistranslation of this verse. Male and female speaks to the fact that all of humanity is formed in the image of God. Not that we are born either male or female. Which brings me to my next point. The verse doesn't say male or female. The verse says male and female. Get out every version of the Bible you own, and every one of them says male and female, not male or female. But it appears that male and female are binary choices. It's either or. They, 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 they seem, on first glance, to be in some way opposites, male and female. The creation story is filled with opposites. 
that appear to be binary choices like day and night or fish and birds or land and sea. And yet creation actually exists in spectrum. So here's what I mean. So between day and night, there is dawn. There is dusk. It's a spectrum. Between land and sea, there are coral reefs and estuaries and swamps. And between fish of the sea and birds of the air, there are penguins. They're birds that don't fly. They lay eggs and raise their baby on land like, like birds, but they use their wings to swim in the ocean like fish. Oh, have you ever seen a platypus? It's got a beak like a duck, a tail like a beaver, venom like a snake, and feet like an otter. It's the only mammal that lays eggs rather than giving birth live. Penguins and platypuses and all of creation exist in spectrums. So then why do we insist that male and female are binary choices. Why are we willing to accept the penguin as part of God's creation, but not the trans woman or man? Why are we willing to accept that all of creation exists in a spectrum, but not gender? And here's what freaks me out more than anything. We are willing to take one verse, poorly translated, and use it against a whole group of people. At best, we make people feel shame and rejection. At worst, we weaponize it to dehumanize people who are created in God's image. How in the world does that make any sense at all? My friends, the entire Christian argument against trans is built on that one verse. It's just crazy. In fact, I would argue that there is more support for trans in the Bible than there is against it. I want to talk about a story that probably most of you know, but it's worth mentioning here. I can't remember if I've spoken about this story in previous podcasts. I might have, but even if I did, I'm going to do it again because I love this story so much. It's the story of Philip and a eunuch. You can read it in the book of Acts chapter 8. In short, a eunuch is a man who has been castrated. Jesus spoke about eunuchs and he said that some are born that way. And some choose to be castrated. The bottom line is that a eunuch was someone who didn't fit the sexual binary model of male and female. Someone that existed in the spectrum. And as the result of their non-binary status, they were excluded from religious life. We see it really clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Here's what it says. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall come into the assembly of the Lord. That is pretty clear. 
Some people like to think of Unix as gay. That could very well be the case. In fact, I would suggest it's likely, but we don't know for sure. What we do know is that these men were excluded from religious life because they didn't fit the binary model. So in the story in Acts, it's about a eunuch from Ethiopia. He was a black trans man. The story says he was traveling to Jerusalem to worship. We don't know anything about why that was the case, because he was not really allowed to worship at the temple. Maybe he didn't understand that. I don't know. Maybe he just heard about Yahweh and felt drawn or compelled to come and find out what this God was all about. But he would have come all that way only to be turned down. The story in Acts doesn't tell us all about that, but that all seems to make sense to me. He was a eunuch and he was a Gentile. So now he's on his way back and he's riding on his chariot reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip shows up. Now, the author of Acts tells us that Philip is there because God sent him. And I think that's a critical part of this story. Wasn't it God who dictated the law? Wasn't it God who said that eunuchs should be excluded from religious life? Now, God tells Philip to go to this eunuch. Did God have a change of heart? The early hearers of the story might have been thinking the same thing. So what is going on here? Well, the story goes on, and Philip tells the eunuch about Jesus and all that's gone on in Jerusalem. Then I love this part of the story. They drive past some water. And the eunuch asks Philip, is there any reason why I can't be baptized? In other words, he's asking, am I included or excluded? Do I get to be a follower of Jesus even as a eunuch? Do I get to be included in the community even as a eunuch? And Philip doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say, oh, wow, um, uh, let, me, let me just check with the leadership on this and I'll get back to you. Philip knows about the passage in Deuteronomy. He knows that eunuchs have always been excluded, but without hesitation, he jumps out of the chariot, they go down to the water, and the eunuch is baptized. The answer is clear. You are included. Baptism was a sign of full inclusion. The reason that I love this story so much is that it's very clear that the non-binary black man is included without changing anything. I also love that this new movement of Jesus followers was reimagining what their religion looked like. They understood the call of Jesus to include everyone, and so they did, in spite of what Deuteronomy said.
In an earlier podcast in the Free to Love series, I spoke about the Ark of Inclusion in the Bible. I borrowed the metaphor of an ark from Dr. Martin Luther King, who spoke of the fact that the ark of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I believe that the ark of the Bible bends toward inclusion. And this story of the eunuch is the perfect example. So in Deuteronomy, you have this passage that I already read about complete exclusion. But then listen to what it says in Isaiah about eunuchs. This is Isaiah 56, verses 4 to 7. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name, and they shall not be cut off. Well, that's a change from Deuteronomy. There is hope for the eunuchs, although there is still a little bit of a quid pro quo, but that's better than nothing, right? But then in the story of Philip, the eunuch is included with no quid pro quo. He is just included, full stop. You see why I love this story? Now, before I finish this episode, I really need to address a few things that have gained a lot of attention in recent days in politics, in Christianity, in social media. And there are things that I'm just learning about, but I think it's important that we address them from a Christian point of view. I want to talk about drag queens. I want to talk about trans in sports. And I want to talk about pronouns. Drag has been around for as long as I can remember. When we first got to South Africa 34 years ago, there was a comedian by the name of Peter Durkheis. He was known for a character that he did in drag that he called Evita who was an Afrikaans socialite. My South African friends will know him well. Evita's humor was very political. She criticized the government and said things that others might have been imprisoned for, but somehow she got away with it. A lot of what Evita said was in Afrikaans, and so much of it went over my head my friends would try to interpret for me, but it did lose some of the punch when it was in English. But, but here's my point. I think we need to recognize that drag is an art form that has been used for centuries. We don't need to be afraid of it. We don't need to worry that the drag queen reading books to your children at the library will make all our boys gay. You may choose not to take your kids, that's fine. But it's not evil. It's not a conspiracy to corrupt young people or to eliminate Christianity. It is an art form that has been effectively used for centuries. Secondly, let me talk briefly about trans women in sports. 
because it's been a big issue. And to be honest, I go back and forth on this. I spent a little bit of time with a trans woman who believed that trans women should not compete in women's sports, which really surprised me. She was very athletic and had always been. Her opinion was that she had certain physical advantages over women, and so for her to compete was not a level playing field. But whatever you think about whether trans women should compete in women's sports, here's the important thing. Men don't pretend to be women because they couldn't compete in men's sports and they think they might do better competing against women. That is ludicrous. I can't imagine anyone taking on the stigma of being trans just to win a race. They are trans people that happen to love sports and are able to compete. We must treat them with dignity and worth as human beings created in the image of God. Competing in sports is a separate issue altogether. Let's keep them separate. Finally, I want to talk about pronouns because there's so much about this out there. This is kind of a new thing. And it's not easy to get your head around. I, I have friends who prefer the pronouns they and them. It is difficult to get used to. But what is the big deal? Why are we so threatened by this? I think we would all agree that Christians are called to kindness and respect to all. I, I would think that using preferred pronouns is just that. It's about kindness and respect. So just get over yourself and call people what they want to be called. It's really that simple. It is not dangerous. It's kindness. It's respect. So I hope all of that gives you something to think about. And I hope you won't dismiss everything I've said just because it's so different to what we have always believed. I do not believe that the Bible teaches exclusively binary gender. To make the argument is weak, in my opinion. And I truly believe that the arc of Scripture bends toward inclusion. As Christians, we need to let go of this idea that non-binary or trans people are excluded. They are not. If you want to tell me what you think about all this, or if you think my argument is weak, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find my email address as well as social media links in the notes that go with this podcast. So until next time, Shalom. Shalom.